And now, with Sound Investing, here's Paul Merriman. So here is my question. Is there such a thing as real buy-and-hold investor? Or is the reality that uh, what we have is people who believe in buy and hold, but what they're deciding to buy and hold is going to change a dozen times over their lifetime. Of course, that's not what we wish for them. And when I have been dead and buried for 10 or 20 years, I would love to know How many people still have half of their money in small cap value and half of their money in the S&P 500 for their equity exposure? But it shouldn't shock us that people don't stay the course, that they allow things that are changing around them. And by the way, the world is only makes money when you change, when you when you decide to to buy something new or, or, you know, whether it's houses or clothes, whatever it is, they want you to keep on moving, keep on buying, keep on selling. And even the indexes that we bow to and with respect uh, as, as, as a way to invest for the long term, to buy and hold, they themselves are in constant change. I think we figured out that the S&P 500 uh, makes uh, hundreds of changes a decade. So does anybody actually put their money in anything and just stay the course forever? Now, I think they probably do that with target date funds. Uh, I think the people who absolutely have no idea what's going on, just as they didn't when their money went into a pension fund, they just trusted that when it was time to retire, that money would be flowing. And admittedly, putting your money in a target date fund is not the same as having a pension fund promise you a certain payout, but I will tell you that you probably will have a lot more payout from your target date fund after having worked for a lifetime, put away money, and also captured all of the match that your corporation or your company might offer or the government. So, buy and hold. Now, what what could we do other than just put our money in a target date fund? What could we do to build a portfolio that we would have a high probability that we'd be optimistic enough and confident enough that if, if we just hang in there, everything's going to be okay? Well, there's a problem with that because... You can only take the pain of being a non-performer or an underperformer so long. Now, I'm talking about people who care about that. People in a target date fund who are just going to take whatever it's worth and that's it, and they're not going to make any changes, That's it's done. That That's great as long as they're in the best target date fund they could be in or, or a very fine one. 
I can guarantee you that Vanguard will not be the very best. It's a conservative target date fund. And those that take more risk are probably going to make more. And one way they make take more risk is, is they have you in more equities. And by the way, the more you have in equities the day you retire, the more you're going to lose if you happen to retire uh, right at the beginning of a big bear market. And Vanguard's concerned. Vanguard is concerned about that. So, buy and hold. What would it take? Well, let me. I, I just want to share with you the results of a couple of mutual funds that have been around a long time. One, if you looked at it, the average size company is very small, uh, maybe let's say three or four billion dollars in in capitalization. Capitalization, you multiply the price per share times how many shares they have, and that will tell you what that company is worth today. Now, this particular one mutual fund has a whole bunch of small ones. The other one are a whole bunch of big ones. One is a very technology-oriented, and the companies sell for five to six times uh, the book value. And the other ones, they sell for less than one times the book value. In other words, if you own them all, if you bought them all, and, and by the way, get whatever earnings they, they distribute, but the net worth of all the buildings and the equipment and all that kind of, 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 of value is worth more than the price you're paying for the companies because the book-to-value, uh, that, that ratio is less than one. On the other hand, the OTC fund I'm talking about, the Fidelity OTC fund, is about 5.5. And the P.E. ratio, the price-to-earnings for the, the, the companies that are inside of that OTC fund, uh, that that re relationship is 24 times, 24. If they make a dollar, people pay $24 for that dollar. If you're in that other fund that has about a, a P.E. ratio of about nine times, it means that you're paying $9 for every dollar of earnings. So those companies that are smaller and out of favor people are getting them pretty cheap, as they should, because they are not the top of the rung in terms of, uh, of, of, of companies that are changing our world as we know it. But those kind of companies have been around as long as the other companies have been around, and the academics have, have, have tracked them both. And what is interesting is that those growth companies, they've done pretty well lately, right? They have been hot. Well, they were not hot last year. They fell a lot.
But it is interesting to look at a history of returns and understand what it was like to be in these two different funds. And by the way, you can do exactly what I did. I went to Morningstar. I put in the ticker symbol for the Fidelity OTC fund. Uh, That happens to be... F as in Frank, O, C as in Cat, P as in Paul, X. And that particular mutual fund has had a very fine track record. And when you compare it to the fund from Dimensional, the small cap uh, value fund, That ticker symbol is D as in dog, F as in Frank, S as in Sam, V as in Victor, X. And what you can do is open up the page for uh, either one of these funds. Uh, I happen to know that the one that was most recently uh, formed was the Dimensional Fund. So I'm going to start there. Uh, and I would go into Dimensional Funds, and you're going to want to look at the chart link just to the right of, uh, of quote, and that will open up a page where uh, you, you can see the performance for short or long periods of time, and I want you to put in the max, M-A-X, and that'll take it back as uh, to the day or to the month that uh, that DFA fund was first offered to the public. And then there's a place where you can compare, and you go in to compare, and you you put in the symbol, the ticker symbol, uh, for the uh, Fidelity OTC fund. And what will happen then is you will see the performance compared uh, by the different uh, colored lines. And here's the fascinating part. And here's what you have to expect to live through when you have different kinds of of mutual funds, funds with different kinds of assets, funds that are actively managed or managed as an index. I can promise you there were lots of other uh, OTC funds that didn't do as well as this particular fund did, and there are some that did better. In fact, we can even see that when we get into the performance page. But for the, for the moment, let's just take a look at what these two funds did. And here's what they did that I think is important to us. They, they both performed well. And sometimes they performed, you would say, brilliantly because they would have made you a lot of money. And, and, and sometimes they were just horrible and they lost you money. And you will notice that, boy, sometimes like with the OTC fund, because it represents these hot dog companies that when they're hot, they're hot. And then when, when they're not, they're not. And, uh, and so here's what I see in this chart, and this is what I worry about for people. I can see that 
if you had 10000 and that's what the chart reflects, uh, $10,000 initial investment that between the first years, about the first little over five years, you would have basically made the same amount of money because they ended up, their lines went together out there about five years, and they both made around $23,600. So it didn't matter which one you got into in terms of what you made. But then it was obvious you've made a big mistake, because what happens next is that the, uh, the DFA fund makes $5,000 between 1998 uh, and 2000, August 2000, July to August 98 to 2000. It makes $5,000. On the other hand, the Fidelity Fund goes from 23000 plus to almost $56,000. At the end of this first seven years, approximately, or seven and a half years, you have twice as much money in the OTC fund. But, as happens so often, in the next period, from 831-2000 to 531-07, Dimensional goes from 28000 to almost 87000 while Fidelity goes from about 56000 down to down to 32000 And that seems like if you got attracted to the Fidelity OTC fund after that phenomenal run, you feel like they were just waiting for me to get in to go down, and they did go down. But then if you stick around, finally, and and by the way, Dimensional was well above the OTC for a long time, but finally, by October 31, remember starting back in 07, by October 31, 2018, they're basically tied. And the DFA fund has a, a $5,000 advantage, 159000 to 154000 But after having been so far apart, OTC climbs back in there. And then at the end of the next run through December 2021, the 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 the, the uh, fidelity fund has been screaming it is now 50% ahead of where the dfa fund is 352000 to 237 and yes you're right if you waited around until january of 2023 they're back to being about even because last year was a terrible year for the OTC. And since the first of the year, Fidelity's been on a, on a tear. They're doing just fine. 
And at the end of this entire period of time, when you have felt like a winner part of it and a a loser another part, no matter where you were, and if you were comparing yourself to something else, and that's what Wall Street is always trying to get you to do, to compare. Look, look over here. Look over here. See what we've just done. You know, we would have done a lot better than you did staying where you did. I mean, come on, get with it. You can do better. Want to retire earlier? Yeah, come on, do this. Want to make your friends feel better of you? Own some of this. We know how that works. And at the end of the time, you have two funds. There's nothing similar about either one of them except they own equities, and they are U.S.-oriented. And all it will take is a major decline in the OTC, and you probably will be back to dimensional having done better. Because when... And you put that in perspective, that period from, from when, when uh, the uh, Fidelity Fund uh, fell in 22, uh, it went from uh, 300 and, let's see if I can tell. Well, it, it, I think it lost about a third of its value. And, and the, the, the uh, DFA Fund, really kind of just move sideways. In fact, in 2022, I think that DFA fund was down 3.5%. So all of a sudden, they looked good. Now, the question is whether you're going to be willing to stay the stay on board, stay on the path, buy and hold, or you're going to be looking for a better solution. And, of course, that's what Chris and Daryl and the rest of us, that's what we're doing, is we're trying to find you a better solution. But we'd like to believe it is a solution that would last potentially a lifetime. A target date fund and 10% or 20% in small cap value, that could be truly a decision for a lifetime. Target date fund will be adjusting to the, to the risk of you aging in the small cap value will be trying to give you the extra lift that could get you to a, could get you to an earlier retirement or taking more out of your portfolio in retirement. So this whole buy and hold question is, you know, can you be one? Well, I am a buy and hold investor based on the strategy that I believe in. The strategy is the same always. And the index funds I own, they're changing. I know they're changing. But the index funds, oh, wait a minute. They aren't the same index funds that I originally bought. Because over the years, the people who manage that money for for us, they're looking for better index funds, just as we're looking for better index funds. So it is possible 
If you're following the advice of somebody who believes in indexing and somebody who believes in buy and hold, that actually what you'll be doing at some point is changing from one index fund to another. So then are you a buy and holder anymore? Well, in a way, no. But in another way, your commitment is to the asset class. That's what your commitment is to. Now, I don't think that we have found financial nirvana. Obviously, we don't know which index is going to be the best next. We don't know which index fund amongst the index funds is going to be the best next. Even within the small cap value universe, there are at least at least a dozen different kinds of small cap value funds. Some have bigger companies, some have smaller, some have more deeply discounted value. There are different combinations of size and discount. Some lean towards quality small cap value companies. Others actually lean towards companies that have, are, are less productive, even more deeply discounted. But here is what I think is a potential solution. And that is, if you feel like you are at risk of chasing something better, you could, you could have a handful of different strategies. I mean, if you put your money in the S&P 500 only, which is what Warren Buffett would recommend, has recommended, if you did that, you would have large cap blend all the way. Now, that's just fine, except in two out of the last five decades, it really hasn't been a very good place to be. You would have been better off if you had, along with the S&P 500, some of these other asset classes, or maybe you would have been better off not being in the S&P 500 at all, and that's true. In hindsight, we know that. The S&P 500 was the, the worst. Now, you also could have been all in small cap value, but it's hard to find anybody who would say you should put all your money in small cap value. Now, Larry Swedrow actually says there is a portfolio that the equity portion could be all small cap value and the other portion would be bonds. And you wouldn't have very much small cap value. But I think it's a strategy that few will be able to maintain. Now, after you have a portfolio, and it could be somehow, let's just call it one quarter of your equity holdings, S&P 500 all the way, then you could have another portfolio that is the two fund. It is half in the S&P 500 and half in small cap value. So when small cap value does well, you're going to get a better return than the S&P 500. And that is, in most years, what happens. In fact, we'll send you a 
will send you a table that shows uh, that uh, uh, that difference between uh, uh, the S&P 500 and small cap value and how each year, who won each year and by how much. So that would be another portfolio. Then you could have a portfolio that is what we call worldwide for fund. There are four equity funds there. We want it to be a balance of big and small and value and growth and U.S. and international. And one way to do that is to have 25% in the S&P 500. There you go again. You got some more of that good stuff. Another 25% in small cap value, U.S. 25% in international large cap value and 25% in small cap blend. Now that means in 25% of your portfolio, you're half an international. But you don't have any international in the other half that you got there, but we're going to give you some more international because the fourth strategy is all value. Well, what do we know about all value in the past? We know all value has been the best place, and I'm talking U.S. and international, it has had the best return of any of the portfolios. And and we're going to send you, ah, going to send you the H1 uh, series of tables that will show you how all of these different things did one year at a time since 1970. And if you're really thinking about making your investment business a combination of these four or any other portfolio, why wouldn't you want to look at the history of the businesses that you're about to buy? Now, that's what people do when they buy a business. They look at the history of that business. They look at the growth of that business. They look at the profits of that business. They see how the business handled 2008. They see how the business did in maybe 2000 through 2002, or, or, or maybe they, they looked at it to see how it did in, in, in 1987 when we had the meltdown, where the market lost 22% in one day. But when people buy companies, they look at them, they look at the personnel, they look at the reputations. Well, in a sense, when you're buying these index-like funds that we recommend, you're probably not going to go look at those companies individually, but at least you can see the impact of putting them together as the indexes have been tracked. And I'm we're trusting those index are being tracked properly. And so you really understand. First, you understand what value is. You understand what small cap is. If you don't, go back to boot camp and go through that again. There's, there's eight presentations I want you to see there that will make sure you understand these important aspects of this business that you're building. 
Now, you're going to have half of a 25% is international, so you got 12.5%, and, and, and 50% of the all-value portfolio is international, so that's another 125 So you've got 25% of your portfolio is in uh, internationals. Not bad. And the S&P 500, Warren Buffett says it, that's where you should put all your money. We are, have a slight disagreement with that, but I do see that because you have 25 plus 12 and a half, 37 you have, um, and then you've got the S&P there. Yeah, you've got uh, 50%. You got 50% in the S&P 500. Now, let me make sure that's true. You got the 25% just in the S&P 500. You've got uh, 12.5% in, in the second portfolio that's 50-50 S&P 500 and small cap value. And then you've got that worldwide where you've got a quarter of the 25%. So you've got about 40, almost 44%. Uh, sitting in the S&P 500. And and when you look at uh, uh, the tables that go along with the H1 table, you can see right across the top. In fact, uh, let me give you the numbers. You got the S&P 500 at 10.4. You've got the, uh, the four fund uh, worldwide at 11.9. These are compound rates of return from 1970 to 2022. You've got 12.6 for the worldwide all value, and you've got 12.2 for the S&P 500 and the uh, and the small cap value. That two fund strategy. You average those up, and you'd have 11.8, which is a fantastic long-term return. Now, obviously what's holding you back is the fund that Warren Buffett says is the best place to put your money. And by the way, it's the highest quality of all four of these portfolios, if you want to look at it, the S&P 500 as a portfolio by itself. And my own portfolio has some of that in it. Uh, I, I've got a, a Roth, a, not a very big Roth, but I've got a Roth. And and uh, the reason, by the way, that uh, I don't have much in Roth is because my, my iris go to charity when I die. And so there's no reason to uh, have them be Roths. But anyway... I've got that in an all-value uh, portfolio, and, uh, and 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 then I've got some that is uh, buy and hold, and it actually uses eleven different, I'm sorry, ten different funds, uh, which we have on that page as well, and uh, and that that eleven fund portfolio. Over that 1970 through 2022 period, compounded at 11.8 in this study. So um, this is, I think, a way, a step you could take uh, to try to uh, 
diversify away uh, all of those challenges of things not living up to your expectations. And before I talk about uh, another important question that uh, has come up, the question is about the time period we should use to judge uh, returns uh, of a mutual fund. Uh, I think that's an important topic. But before I do, I, I, I want to just take a second and thank all of you who were kind enough to send in uh, a quote that you have used to motivate others to make changes or to create new policies, if you will, about how investing should be done. And I'm, this is one of my lists of 80 I'm preparing for October when I'm celebrating my 80th birthday. Uh, and and I, uh, I've got enough. <laughs> I've, I've got at least 200 now <laughs> to choose from. Uh, I had a lot already that on my list of favorites. So I really want to thank the folks uh, who, who sent those. And one of the one of the people who follows our work uh, also uh, is involved in building, uh, either for himself or for others, uh, lists of quotes. And once I was able to dig into uh, uh, all of those quotes, it was an amazing two hours of fun to uh, to look not just at investing quotes, but uh, quotes that have to do with all parts of our lives. Anyway, thank you for all of that. Another request now, because I'm working on I'm working on more lists. Uh, I'm I'm doing a list of uh, mistakes that investors make, and uh, and so uh, what I'm looking for, because I do have the ability to ask Chat GPT uh, for a list of mistakes, uh, and 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 so that I can get the easy ones, but. The low-hanging fruit is easy, but in terms of the mistakes, I'm looking for mistakes that are meaningful. They're, they're not just a thing that happened to one person one time, uh, but mis- mistakes that, that people, in fact, they may not even realize uh, that it's a mistake uh, that they're making. And, uh, uh, and so Paul at paulmerriman.com hit me with your best your best idea that should make our list of 80 mistakes uh, that investors make. Uh, I will appreciate your help uh, again. I think this will be a little more difficult uh, than the quote request. Now, I do uh, want, by the the way, I'm being teased unmercifully by friends and family about this focus on the lists of 80. In fact, they are. They're making fun of me now. We uh, we actually uh, had a birthday party for me uh, yesterday, uh, July 9th, uh, and that is because we wanted to get all of our family together to celebrate, and the only day in the rest of the year that we could be assured of finding sun and uh, here in, in, in the Pacific Northwest and have them available was believe it or not, between now and October 19th, uh, July 9th. And uh, and yes, they did make fun of my lists, and they started uh, chiding me with more lists that I should be doing if I think 
making lists of 80 is a fun thing to do. Anyway, we had a great time. And I must say, I must say, uh, it's hard to find something kind of special to happen at a party. But I knew that we have grandkids here and old kids here. uh, And and, and, uh, we're all kids at some level. And I think one of the things that many of us love is magic. And uh, there is a magician that lives here in the Pacific Northwest, a young lad in his 40s who has been doing magic since he was 12 years old. His name is Nate Jester, and he swears that's the name he was born with. Uh, And he just did a wonderful job of including everybody in the performance. Uh, It's it's probably money that we should have given uh, to the local theater or the helpline house or something, but it, it it really created a lot of fun from ages nine through uh, almost eighty, uh, and some magic just blew our minds. I, I none of us have any idea how he was able to do what he did to me, uh, and uh, I'm going to start searching the internet to see if I can find the answer. If I can find the answer. I'll tell you about about the illusion, uh, but it wasn't an illusion to me. Uh, so enough of that. On to the next question here uh, about um, this this question about the period of time to judge performance. Now it is true that a year doesn't mean anything, and if you go back to that table, that H one set of tables, and you Look at the, I think it's the third page in, where we where we uh, show the returns of decades. And uh, there are decades when the S&P 500 underperforms the other strategies by a, a ton, uh, by well over 5%. I don't remember what the highest is, but, but it may even have been as high as 8% difference per year. Uh, and, and so, um, that is, that is the risk of looking at 10 years. You could look at a really good 10 years. In fact, the S and P 500 has recently had a really good 10 years from, from, uh, the, the period since certainly since 2009, 2010 on has been a great period for the S and P 500. So, is 10 years enough? No, it isn't. Now, if you said, I want to put money into a large cap blend fund, and I want it to be actively managed, well, you can look at those funds at, at, um, at Morningstar, uh, and and but they would be in the same large cap blend category as the S and P five hundred, and you could see how they did during that ten year period. Now remember, if they did well while the S and P five hundred was struggling, it lost one percent a year uh, from two thousand through two thousand nine, and if some strategy uh, made 
four or five percent a year. Well, they either did it with stock company selection or they did it with timing or they did it by having other asset classes in the portfolio so that the the performance was not really from the large cap blend portion of the portfolio but maybe they had a a, a piece of the of the of the fund in 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 value small cap value mid cap value there's a number of things mutual funds can do uh, that, and, unless they are specifically an index, they normally have to, I think, have something like this is what the rule used to be, I believe, uh, 85% in the category that they state in the prospectus, but the other 15% can be doing something very, very different that could drive that difference in return. So in a case like that, you might want to look at at least a couple more decades of numbers uh, because managers can just get plain lucky uh, in a period. You can't get lucky in, in an index fund. Now, so, so if it's active management, it would be nice to be able to see 20 or 30 years worth of performance. When you get into indexes, oh, I should mention, you may be able to get 20 or 30 years of performance of an actively managed fund, but if the fund manager hasn't been there that entire time, what meaning does it have? Because it is the performance of who's there now that you're buying. And so it's, it's it, 30 years of performance doesn't mean a thing. Now, when you look at indexes, that's different because now, well, you still have to do some digging because when small cap value was really popular, uh, well, let me restate that. When small cap value was doing okay, and if you had your money in larger value companies rather than smaller small cap. So they still were inside the small cap value arena, but maybe the average size company was $4 billion. That would be large uh, small cap, but you were competing against people who were in the $2 billion and less size, and the differences were substantially different because it was a period that large companies outperformed small companies. So even larger small cap did better than smaller small cap. So you have to be aware that within that small cap value arena, you could have performance for 10 years that could be very misleading. So you really want you, you want to go out for as long as you possibly can. Uh, with an index. But as you know, it's going to be the size of the companies. It's going to be the expenses. It's going to be how diversified they are. And over the years, the experts have found other factors other than size, other than value. For example, the quality of the companies and and, 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 and how profitable they are. That they have found 
has an impact. So you may want to look at that as a variable as well. The, the, the point is with indexes, it, it, it isn't a piece of cake. There's still some understanding that you have to have, but you can look at shorter periods of time, theoretically, uh, and get an idea of, of their performance. And it seems to me that when you are wanting to judge indexes, it becomes important that you are able to see the past performance of those indexes. And, and those have been created by, by different groups of people. I, I know that uh, for us, the work that Dimensional Fund Advisors has done uh, is, a, uh, uh, is, 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 a, is a good way to have a sense. In fact, we have, we have given you, going all the way back to 1928, uh, we've given you the quilt chart where we show you the returns one year at a time of four major, the, the, the large cap blend, the large cap value, the small cap blend, the small cap value. We've also uh, shown you the combination of all four of them. We've produced a quilt chart that shows you the performance of the two-fund strategy and the all-value combination. So we have tried to show you those indexes in good times and bad. And what we know is the good times and bad will be different. But if you go back and look at those numbers, notice how you you could look. You could say, okay, I'm going to look at the numbers that fall between 10% and 15% on the upside. And you can see there are lots and lots of years from 10 to 15, 15 to 20, even 20 to 30, even 30 to 40. And all of that information is, I think, reflective, representative of what it's going to look like in the future. It's just the sequence of returns are guaranteed to be different. And our goal is to have you be aware of what these things look like in the good times, what they look like when you combine them, but whether that's individually or in combinations, we want you to see the bad times as well. So I, I hope some of that helps. Uh, as always, I appreciate you spending some time with me. Um, we have, uh, lots of projects we're working on right now and thank you for your help with the list. Well, while I'm here, why not, why not ask for more help? How about, uh, uh, we have another list that has to do with the myths of investing. Uh, uh, and so uh, many of you have read books about, uh, the myths of investing, I'm sure, uh, share your favorite myths with me. Same email, paul at paulmerriman.com. And, uh, and, and I'll have that list together by October as well. But if you got one, send it along. Thanks as always for all that you do to help us. And boy, the big thing, not only help our list, that's a big thing, but a really, really big thing is, is when you bring new folks to our site, and and share our information. Thank you all very much. 
That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com, and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.